Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and as always, so delighted that you've decided to join us in the New Southern Garden. It's this time of year that starts to get our uh, horticultural excitement going. (laughs) Now, we have suffered, of course, from another freeze. One appears to be coming again, but this is Georgia. And we've been talking about it for the past few weeks to be always monitoring what the weatherman is telling us to see what we can expect, to see what we can find out, what can be going on, what what we need to be doing. We've talked about protecting plants that may be trying to do certain things this time of year, protecting them from those cold nights in particular, cold mornings. But of course, some of it is just embracing what Mother Nature gives us, right? And so, with that being said, sometimes, really it should be all the times, (laughs) we just have to work with Mother Nature, (laughs) or work with nature itself. And that's okay, that's what we're in the business of. We're in the business of actually enjoying the things that nature provides for us like sunlight and warm weather in the spring warmer weather in the summer and all of these things rainfall certain temperatures at night are going to help stimulate our plants to grow encourage them to bloom and that's something that we should be glad to have But there are those difficulties that come along with growing plants outside. And of course, freezes is one of those things. Freezes are one of those things. But I'm looking for brighter days, warmer days to come. And you should be too. Because we are approaching spring. And spring is that time of year that reminds us There's a revitalization going on. New life, new birth, if you will. Things that have been dormant and uh, simply leafless all winter long are now quickly and soon going to be flushing out with brand new leaves. Brand new bright shades of green that mature to darker shades. Of course, there are those great plants that provide us with yellow chartreuse foliage. And then, of course, flowers will be coming on as they already have been. But spring is always a good time of year to be thinking about that rebirth, that relife, that life coming back, maybe resurrection in a way, right? And so we'll be experiencing that soon. Um, don't worry if some of your plants, I tell you what, my hydrangeas, love my hydrangeas, so do the deer, right? <laughs> but my hydrangeas, well, they started putting out new, lo- new foliage. 
That's the first thing they do. Now, we're particularly, I'm particularly talking about the macrophylla, the uh, big leaf hydrangea. And these are the ones that, of course, are usually pink or blue. Uh, as far as their flowers go here in the south, they tend to be blue, but in sweeter soils, alkaline soils, they tend to be pink. Um, but these these babies, these big leaf hydrangeas, they love to start putting out leaves as soon as we have some decent stretch of warm days. And we surely have had that since February. But then again, we have had these very uh, cold nights right on the edge or right below freezing, depending on where you are. And those leaves don't look so hot anymore. Am I worried about their leaves? No, not really. Because the bud itself, the interior part of where those leaves come from, is going to be more protected than an, a new unfurling leaf would be. So even though the new unfurling leaves have shown some signs, at least in my garden, of this winter damage, winter weather damage, I know that when we settle out and we don't have these freezes anymore, they will, again, start to put out new leaves. Now, the only trouble with these plants in the south, they absolutely love our climate, nothing wrong with it, but because they break their buds so early, it's these later freezes and maybe even frost that can damage some of their flower buds, some of the blooms themselves. And so you might see if your hydrangeas, like mine, started unfurling, started to grow, uh, you may find that they don't bloom as well this year. And, I mean, that's okay. The, the plant is okay. The plant is all right. But, of course, your bloom show uh, may, may be diminished a bit. But if you are growing big leaf hydrangeas that rebloom, now there's a fancy word for that. They call them remontant hydrangeas, remontant hydrangeas. It essentially means reblooming. Now, of course, the endless summer type of hydrangea, there's plenty options out there now there's the original endless summer which has your classic hydrangea flower a lot like a nico blue hydrangea could be blue or pink depending on the soil but it's just that classic kind of mop head style blossom uh, then there's like twist and shout and then there's some uh, wedding what is that one wedding wedding gown i think uh, so there's a number of things cherry explosion we've just brought into the nursery at lanier nursery and gardens in flyer branch georgia where you can find me throughout the week uh, but there's a number of these hydrangeas that they've been developing since the original Endless Summer. Now, uh, Endless Summer did not necessarily start this remonant hydrangea uh, fad. Fad? It's probably not a fad. I think it's here to stay. Uh, but this craze for reblooming hydrangeas. It, uh, there's actually a few older varieties that do this kind of naturally, like Penny Mac. Penny Mac hydrangea has been around a long time. She's beautiful whether she's growing in the, the soil that makes you blue or if she's growing in the soil that makes you pink. And so uh, she's been around a long time, but the original Endless Summer hydrangea, uh, I was reading up on that actually, and it was actually discovered as far back as 1986. So that plant itself is older than me. I won't tell you when I was born, but you know it's after 1986. Well, anyhow, the uh, original summer hydrangea, Endless Summer hydrangea was discovered in a garden actually further north than we are. I think it was in... Uh, Minnesota somewhere, and it had these characteristics where um, even if the, the old wood buds from last year bloomed, it would bloom on new wood buds as well, and most hydrangeas don't do that. Most of these big leaf hydrangeas, they set their flower buds in the summer of the previous year, 
And then the cold weather stimulates those buds to get going, get, get developing. Then they bloom. They're one of the first hydrangeas to start blooming, as a matter of fact. And so, of course, uh, because this particular plant discovered in a garden somewhere in Minnesota uh, was hardy up there, which is kind of odd. It's actually hardy to zone four which is very, very cold for most hydrangeas. So the idea with this hydrangea is that in those very cold areas, or like us, when we have a late frost or freeze that damages the buds, even if all of the buds are removed by winter weather, you can still have blossoms on the plant later in the summer. And, of course, it's marketed and touted by the breeders uh, of Endless Summer and all the endless summers, uh, that it has a succession of bloom, perpetual bloom, until the first frost in the fall. So in our area, ideally, these remonent type, these particularly newer remonent types, will start blooming like they normally do if those original flower buds aren't damaged, the old wood buds. But then if you deadhead these hydrangeas, they will particularly bloom even through the rest of summer and potentially up until fall. And we do grow, of course, at the nursery, a number of these hydrangeas. We have some planted in the ground. We always observe and watch to see what the differences between the varieties that we're growing and selling um, really are. Because you really don't know how things are going to respond for time. Well, luckily, the endless summer hydrangea was trialed both here in Georgia, in Athens, at the University of Georgia, and then up north. And in both trials, it carried the same characteristics for over 10 years. So see, the Endless Summer Hydrangea was not released until 2001, 2003, early 2000s, even though it had been discovered and bred and, and trialed uh, as early as 1986. So, of course, from the original came all of these other varieties. Some are not the mop head style. Some are those lace cap flowers. And then some have some strange colorations. Uh, some are more purple. Some are, are very red. Some are white. Some are doubles. And so we've got a great selection of these remonant hydrangeas now. And I think that it's the way to go. I think that a hydrangea that can rebloom... Not just, not, not just bloom once, but bloom perpetually, <laughs> as the uh, endless summer folks say. Blooms per perpetually through summer if it's deadheaded. That's all you've really got to do is remove the spent flowers. And sure enough, by removing the deadheaded flowers, you will see a number of more flowers continuing to go. In my observations on most of these remonent, reblooming hydrangeas, you still get a Normal hydrangea show, just mop head flowers after mop head flowers uh, early on in the summer. But then after the deadheading, it's not quite as dramatic. It's not quite as dramatic. But if the plant is fed well, you're maximizing its potential. Of course, most uh, hydrangeas are going to like a very organic -y soil. So if you have wood soil, um, if you're planting under trees where the soil has not been graded or disturbed, then you probably have a rich humusy, humusy soil that these plants will just thrive in. But again, even though they perpetually bloom for the rest of summer up until frost, I find that they, uh, they don't bloom as heavily through summer as they do at that initial blossom time, just like all hydrangeas give us. But again, the benefits 
to reblooming hydrangeas are vast, and it's very helpful for gardeners across the nation because, of course, up north, you may not be able to normally grow hydrangeas, or you're growing hydrangeas, they die to the ground every year because it's so cold up there, and then every year they put out new leaves, but all of the old buds were damaged. So if it's not a reblooming type, you have a beautiful hydrangea plant when summer gets here, but no flop, no flowers. And so, so for us in the South, it's kind of the same. We surely are going to have these late freezes that damage most of the old wood buds. But because these reblooming types can bloom on new wood that's produced in spring and summer, you are sure to have some kind of hydrangea flower show. And so it's a great, uh, very adaptable plants, these rebloomers, because they do work well where winter is definitely very cold, like up north, but it also works down here in the south where winter is mild, but we usually have one to two, maybe three cold events that actually damage the old flowering bud or the old wood buds that would be the first to flower. So I think that. Um, Looking into some of these new varieties, we do uh, have one, maybe I mentioned it a second ago, but Cherry Explosion was one we've carried a couple of years now and will continue this year. It is unique in that it is a lace cap style flower, so you don't have the big round mop head blossoms, but you have those loose airy blossoms. Uh, And the color on this is dependably red. It is a distinctive red. Um, maybe it pushes the pinks just a little bit. But regardless, this cherry explosion is, is really showing off. And like I said, with the uh, wedding gown, it's actually a double flower. So you have these star-like flowers and then another set of star-like petals on top of those. And of course, because they're sort of arranged in that lace cap to almost mop-style head, you've got these double stars just floating on top of the plant. Really attractive and really gorgeous. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about hydrangeas today and some of the new things to be looking for. Uh, We anticipate at Lanier Nursery and Gardens to continue to grow, bring in a number of hydrangeas. Uh, We'd like to sort of be well known eventually to to be able to offer a wide variety uh, of different hydrangeas because hydrangeas, nothing really says the South, maybe camellia, right? But nothing really says South gardening like a hydrangea and part of that is because we've got a great climate for it where if you grow it if you're growing in a very cold place over winter hydrangeas don't necessarily do that well so well gang today we actually have a gardening question from from our wonderful producer trent he's usually behind the soundboard he's helping us get the message of gardening out but he's got a question about turtles and plants for turtles so when we get back more growing plants here on the southern garden Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. 
go. Well, gang, you know, here on New Southern Garden, we, we love to hear from you. We love to take your questions and give you our answers. And we appreciate all of those who have provided us questions over the years. You're a great group of listeners. We love you so much. And, you know, we've, we've had questions from, uh, golly, maybe, was there one from Texas? I can't remember. I know Alabama, Tennessee. Of course, we've had plenty of questions from our local area right here in northeast Georgia. But I don't think that a question could get more local than a question from across from across the studio desk. That's right, our producer Trent, who who I'd like to go ahead and say thank you uh, for all of your efforts, Trent, because you know you allow the message of gardening to be heard, and I'm just here tasked to bring the message. But <laughs> sound like my dad preacher, don't I? Um, but you know. All the things that Trent does here at the studio allows you to hear that message. And so the man behind the soundboard, we do appreciate it. And I'm glad that Trent uh, is giving me this question. Of course, he's been asking me for weeks to, to answer this question. He has a turtle, folks. He has a turtle. And um, it's a yellow belly slider turtle in a 60-gallon tank. We've got a great home for it. Uh, this turtle apparently has a great personality, too. And uh, he showed me a picture of this cute turtle, cute turtle. Pretty, pretty good size, though. Pretty good size. Growing, growing, healthy, happy turtle. Um, and I've just like, you know, I, I don't grow plants in tanks. I don't necessarily even grow plants indoors unless I'm starting my vegetable seeds, right? Uh, so I know that I've been pushing Trent off, but I can't. I've got to answer this question. And I will say that with some research, uh, taking some time to examine what plants we can grow in Trent's turtle habitat indoors, it's been exciting because... Really, I've introduced to a lot of new, a lot of new plants that could be, um, could be cool to grow. Of course, many of these aren't going to grow outdoors in our climate, uh, but you surely could grow these inside especially. And it's amazing, though, the number of people who do ask me about plants for uh, aquariums and terrariums and things. And it's not necessarily something that, you know, I um, love to talk about or know a lot about, but... I can definitely speak from, from the plant's perspective on what some of these plants' needs would be. And, you know, it's not a bad idea, folks, to build a terrarium. You don't have to have a turtle in it. You don't have to keep spiders or any kind of creepy crawlies. You don't have to do that. But a terrarium itself could be essentially a beautiful garden on a tabletop, you know. Uh, you can grow certain mosses and certain plants in water. Uh, that, that that don't have a problem with wet feet. Of course, a lot of the plants we talk about in the garden don't love to be wet. But when we talk about these terrariums and aquariums and things, uh, it, it's, it's a new topic, something I've never really talked about. So uh, I think that's a good opportunity on, uh, on a day where, you know, we're sort of in between winter and spring and we don't want to rush out and do a lot of things outdoors. Uh, we can definitely think about doing uh, gardening indoors pretty much all the time. Um, I want to describe a little bit more about, um, about Trent's little baby here. He says his turtle is such a fun pet. Uh, you wouldn't think that, he says, but it would be. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fun pet. Um, but in the tank, we already have natural rocks. Uh, there's some sand here and there, some softball-sized rocks, a cement block for him to climb up onto to get out of the water. Sounds like a, a great play place for this, for this turtle baby. Uh, but he's wanting to hide the unnatural block and wants to cover it with a moss or something like that. But he doesn't know, uh, let's see, not sure of a couple of things. Uh, he's a little nosy. So here's our first parameter, folks. 
this turtle, he's not sure uh, if he would probably go right for the plant. You put the plant in, he's so nosy, he'd probably go right in. So it'd have to be safe uh, from the turtle's perspective. And the aquarium is, or the terrarium, is uh, two feet cubed, two by two by two. And it would need to be able to survive completely submerged in water. Um, Of course, he gives me some more details that I, I will glance over here for you. But Let's see. So really, it comes down to looking for some plants that may work. Um, It doesn't have to be moss, but it could be uh, a plant of any length. Um, He probably is going to eat it or at least tear it up when he's chasing his feeder goldfish. Well, a healthy diet in my research for turtles is, yes, some plant material, but also some meat. (laughs) So those feeder goldfish are probably important. Um... Yeah, so really, other than the turtle, there's no other constant inhabitants. He's he's his own cellmate, and uh, I hate to say cell, Trent, sorry about that. Uh, but uh, we do throw in the feeder fish occasionally, and and uh, gives him some energy to chase them around, some exercise at least. And of course, um, the biggest concern here when we're growing uh, for Trent's turtle baby is he may be eating the plants. Um but then again, if we recommend some plants that this turtle may not eat, then there may be some, some controlling. Like we prune in the landscape. Trent's going to have to be pruning some of the plants that uh, the turtle may not be interested in. So I've got a list, and these are some interesting plants. Um, the first one is probably one to really look into. And again, I'm going to mainly be speaking from the plant's perspective, growing in a tank in a situation where there's a lot of water, limited light. Okay, we're indoors. But of course, uh, Trent, some of these plants are going to need a uh, some artificial light, probably uh, a grow light, if you will, really easy to obtain and use. And of course, if you're growing, um, if if, if, if any of our listeners are growing uh, vegetables indoors, a grow light is not a bad situation to have, not a bad tool to have, because our, if we're starting plants indoors, it's nearly like growing plants in a cave. And plants don't necessarily live in caves in the absence of light, right? They are photosynthetic beings, meaning that they generate their energy from the sun uh, to create their own food from all of the other resources and nutrition that they pull in from their roots and so having some supplemental light in a situation like this is going to be wonderful probably one of the best plants overall based on the research that i've done is a plant called java moss now java moss looks like green hair it looks like cousin it went to the barber and had his hair turned green he's a uh i guess he's a punk rocker now cousin it so the great thing about java moss is that it grows fast, and it may only reach about five inches tall, so it's not going to be a huge plant, so it's not going to need a lot of care from you. Light demands are going to be low. It's not going to demand a lot of light, not a lot of CO2 either, um, and relatively, it's an easy plant to grow. It's widely available, very affordable, and it serves multiple purposes from the turtle's tank's perspective. This little plant called Java Moss really does it all. Again, low light it attaches itself to rocks and other hard surfaces so Trent there you go it will cover that uh, more unnatural block that you have there for him to rest on and turtles do like to eat it so it can be considered a useful food source all right now this is where my um, 
my knowledge sort of starts to back off because I don't know the diet needs or restrictions or whatever that a turtle may have. But from the plant's perspective, if you are growing a plant, and this works in all of gardening, folks, or horticulture, agriculture, whatever, if you're growing a plant that you intentionally, intentionally want an insect to eat, or in this case, a turtle to eat, uh, so something like a host plant with with uh, pollinators, uh, a great host plant for monarchs, the only host plant are any of the milkweeds, and we would expect a creature to eat it. So the fact that the creature is going to eat it, we need to make sure that that plant can regenerate and grow quickly. And Java moss does that. It's going to cover the rock like Trent wants it to do, but because it grows quickly, uh, that's going to help recover from any of the, say, quote-unquote, damage that the turtle's going to do to the plant. Again, I'm speaking from the uh, the uh, point of view as the plant itself. If a turtle is eating me, I want to be able to grow quickly. With that in mind, if the turtle does not eat it often, it may need to be trimmed every now and then because it does grow quickly. But from the perspective of the tank itself. Uh, This plant will also help to filter water. Uh, It's going to uh, keep your water healthier too, all right? Whenever you have a situation where you're growing plants and animals, particularly water is around, the plants usually are going to be helping you uh, with those water needs. So again, the pros. Java moss is a low-maintenance option, serves as turtle food, could be beneficial. Again, I'm not a turtle guy, but uh, it can act as a water filter. The con is it grows very quickly, but if your turtle loves to eat it, it's going to be a great snack that just keeps on giving. After this, more turtle plants if you happen to have an inside aquarium, terrarium. Hang on tight. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, before the break, we were talking about plants that make great companions for turtles. And I know we don't talk about uh, growing many things indoors that often. We're usually talking about the landscape, the vegetable garden, and whatnot. And, of course, uh, you and I may be growing plants inside like tomatoes and peppers and certain flowering annuals that we're going to place in the landscape. Uh, But there are a number of people, and I'm learning more every day, who are growing plants in an aquarium or in a terrarium, if you will. And they want to grow these things for the benefit of the terrarium aquarium itself and also for the benefits of its crawling inhabitants. In this case, our producer Trent here in the studio is growing a turtle in his terrarium, slider. And he wants to know what kinds of plants could make a good partner for the aquarium terrarium. Now, remember that there's a lot of aspects, and I'm not necessarily a terrarium aquarium guy, but I'm trying to speak from the plant's perspective in particular. So, of course, Trent, all these recommendations, you better take them home and do a little more research. (laughs) But... 
There are some things when we're trying to grow a plant in a contained area, that this is even outdoors, that we would need to consider. So we obviously want a plant that will be able to handle low light, handle a certain amount of moisture, because for the turtle's sake, there's gotta be a good bit of moisture, water. But then of course, we've got the aspect of the turtle perhaps feeding on these plants, right? And so these, this aspect of feeding uh, could go one of two ways. If the turtle is not interested in it, we don't want the plant to take over. But if the turtle is always nipping it back a bit, it's got to be able to regenerate new foliage pretty quickly. And there are some great options. Just before the break, we were talking about Java moss. It's probably, if we were to have a, um, a Miss Moss pageant, instead of Miss America, this would be the best overall probably. Because it can serve as food, as a food, as a forage for the turtle. And um, from all the research I found is perfectly all right for the turtle to consume. So that's wonderful. But it also grows quickly. And that's wonderful too, because if the turtle is gonna eat it, then it needs to be able to recuperate from the feeding, if you will. And it doesn't get very big, maybe five inches tall. But it can creep and crawl and attach to hard surfaces like stones and rocks and maybe even the side, uh, the glass of the aquarium. Uh, but again, you could see that as a con if it grows very quickly. You may have to do some pruning. That's what we'd call it, removing portions of the plant to keep it in check. But again, if the turtle's doing most of the pruning for you because he likes to eat it and it's healthy for him, uh, you probably don't have to do much of that. But now... The next plant is probably, if we were to rank this in the Miss Moss pageant, uh, a plant called hornwort, hornwort. And it's probably uh, the best value if you're talking about cleaning the tank, keeping the tank clean. It too grows very quickly. However, keep this in mind, Trent, uh, it may grow up to 10 feet. So trimming this uh, might be a bit regular and i'll tell you why cleaning horn uh, pruning horn wart, horn wart wart golly horn wart would be diff would be necessary is because turtles don't really use it as a food um, turtles are not going to be very interested in this fast growing plant but it does float on water it can be anchored to the bottom of the tank if you need it to uh, it's very easy to care for doesn't need much light if you have a plant light uh, hanging out on top of your tank that's all about all you need. You don't need to do much else. But because it can grow pretty big and pretty quick, it may need to be pruned back. Um, it does do a great job of filtering the water. Again, this is probably one of the best uh, tank cleaners, water filtration system, naturally. Don't have to add any uh, hardware to it. It's just a plant itself. But again, it's not a favorite for turtles to munch on. So if you don't plan for your turtle to eat a particular plant that you put in its habitat, then this would be a good contender. So again, the pros to hornwort, wart, I cannot say this for to save my life. The pros to hornwort is it's quick, affordable, and very little maintenance required other than probably trimming from time to time. Uh, might be a little messy because it gets big and has to be cut back some. Another con is it's not turtle food. I don't know. Again, I'm not uh, one of the guys who are growing a turtle, um, but if I were, 
I would have to determine if I want the plant that I put in there to be turtle food or not. Now, another one, another great plant that is going to keep the tank beautiful. And really, turtles don't go for, they don't go for this. So this is a plant, it's not exactly a moss, it's more of a fern. It's called the African water fern. Now, this one grows slowly. And if the turtle is not interested in this plant, not wanting to consume its foliage, then that would be okay. If the turtle's not going to be eating it, then it can grow slower. As a matter of fact, if it grows slower, then you're not having to prune or maintain a plant that a turtle is not going to be munching on. Uh, its maximum height may be 22 inches. So again, it may, may reach just toward the top of your 24-inch tall uh, tank. It doesn't demand much light which is good. If we're looking to grow any plant indoors, it really needs to be a plant that does not require much light at all. Uh, but it might be a little more difficult, maybe moderately uh, hard to grow compared to these other two plants we've talked about. Now, the African water fern is a really pretty fern, too. You may want to Google it, look for some pictures. Uh, it has these dissected leaves that are dark green. Sometimes the leaves are a bit scalloped around the edges or maybe forked. Um, and they're just really beautiful. And again, uh, would give you that kind of tropical look indoors. Even, folks, if you're not growing a turtle, this could be a great plant uh, because its light demands are low. It could be a great house plant. Uh, could definitely sit in a wet dish if you needed it to. Uh, or it could be a plant that you build your own little terrarium with minus the animals unless you want to have some animals um, but again it is slow growing so you got to give it some time and patience but since the turtle is not necessarily attracted to it it's okay they do benefit from the turtle's waste so in particular this would be a good option uh, the turtle is going to be um, the turtle is going to be uh, doing things, right, just like every life does. There's going to be waste. And these plants can live for a very long time without much effort, without much initial uh, input. Uh, but again, the African water fern is not usually a palatable plant, doesn't taste so well for the turtle. They're not usually attracted. So we're not worried that it grows slow. Um, so the pros, to summarize, they require little care. The African water fern is attractive, very beautiful. Uh, and again, the cons, it does grow slow. But if you want to feed a turtle the plants you're putting in there, this is going to be another con. The turtles don't necessarily like to eat it. So, um, all right, let me see. I've got another one here that's very interesting. It's got a strange name. It's called Anubius. Anubius. Now, the Anubius is more of a broadleaf plant. It's not necessarily uh, a fern. It's not necessarily a moss by any means. But the Anubius has a very dark green leaf, small leaf. To me, it looks like a plant we use in the landscape called creeping fig. And um, it sort of is a vine-like plant. It's a slow-growing um, plant. It only gets about five inches tall, uh, needs very little light, very low light. So that's, that's a big, big, big thing for it, for, for being able to grow in a tank indoors is it doesn't need much light at all. And relatively, it's an easy plant. So 
you're looking for a slow-growing plant to put in your turtle's tank, this Anubius is a good choice. Uh, like I said, they don't get very tall, 12 inches. They actually can attach themselves to any surface in the tank. So again, Trent's looking to cover up a sort of unnatural block that is used for the turtle to slide in and out on and maybe bask a little bit. And so this would cover that. This does attach to surfaces and it would be wonderful. And the Anubius does have a very bitter taste, so your turtles are not going to eat it. So even though a con for this may be it's slow growing, the pro is the turtle won't eat it. So it will grow at a slower pace. You won't have to prune it back as much. It's not going to just take over uh, the, the entire tank, and it kind of will balance itself out. Again, the only con, if you want the turtles to eat it, this is not one that they would like to eat at all. But if you don't mind them just laying around on it, hiding underneath it, um, that this would be a perfect fight, uh, plant. It's called the Anubius. Anubius. Now, in the same realm uh, of Java moss, there's a plant called Java fern. And I am a bit more familiar with this because I, I had grown one in a fish tank years ago. And so this is a plant that can be submerged in water. It doesn't matter if they have wet feet. Um, it requires very little care. Again, they, they survive. They thrive in low light conditions. They only grow up to 12 inches tall. So it's not like you're going to have to be pruning this thing to keep it restrained to the tank itself. Um, they can, the java ferns can either be partially or fully submerged in water. So wet feet is not a problem. Again, with your turtle tank, Trent, you're going to have uh, wet feet from the plant's perspective, and this plant does not bat an eye at that. Now, turtles generally don't eat java fern, but if the turtle decides to take a bite, the java fern is considered non-toxic. So, it's probably a plant that he's not going to be interested in. The turtle is not going to necessarily care for. But if he takes a bite, it's not going to hurt him. So they grow at not a fast rate, not a slow rate, sort of a moderate pace, but they can live for a very long time with little effort on your part. And in most cases, uh, from the plant's perspective, the only food source that they'll need is really the waste from the turtle. And they're going to naturally work in symbiosis, right? It's going to be a symbiotic relationship between the turtle and the plants. If you choose some of these plants for the turtle to eat, then his waste, of course, is like compost or manure, and it will in turn uh, feed the plants again. Now, there is a plant here that gets kind of tall, 20 inches, but I think it's a really cool looking plant. It reminds me a lot of uh, some of the house plants we grow, maybe like peace lily. It's got very broad leaves pointed like an arrow and then a nice tight stem that connects it to its root system. It's called the Amazon sword plant, the Amazon sword plant. And it does remind you of a sword, kind of a lance lake, uh, lance lancelate leaf is what we would call it, lance-like. But the Amazon swords plant does need a lot of light to thrive. So definitely having grow lights for this plant is going to be critical. However, uh, as long as it's a good source of light. I don't know. Again, I'm not a uh, really a terrarium guy. I don't know if you should have your terrarium or aquarium in a window where it gets direct light, but that would be great for the Amazon sword plant. So as long as it gets a good light source, it's really easy to care for. The Amazon sword can grow uh, quite large, so it will need to be firmly rooted in the tank. You may need to use some rocks or gravel. And another great thing 
is the turtles don't usually eat these plants either. Uh, so they are very helpful, very useful as a water filtration uh, plant. They will, the pro, definitely, they're keeping your tank clean. Um, they're fairly low maintenance, but they will need a substrate to root into. So that may be one of the cons. And definitely one of the cons is they need the high light in order to grow. But they are not a food source. So I don't know if you consider that a pro or a con. One last plant before we take a break that I'd like to uh, turn Trent on to is moneywort. It grows fast. It may grow two inches, uh, 12 inches or more. It needs maybe moderate light. And it might be a little more difficult to grow. But again... I think Trent is up for a challenge. Uh, it's got bright green leaves, beautiful long straight shoots, very attractive, but it does grow quickly with enough light, so you will have to prune this one. Uh, but turtles do like the taste of moneywort, so they may prune it, your, them, your, prune it themselves when they snack on it. So check out some of these plants, of course, if you're growing indoors. When we get back, we're going to talk about a completely different topic, mulch. <laughs> Hang on tight. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, I guess that's Eden Rose there encouraging us this morning to give growing plants inside a go. And if you're just joining us before the break, we were wrapping up our discussion on something I've never talked about. And I'm, I'm glad that our producer, Trent, here in the studio uh, had decided to ask me this. I just put it off, put it off. But uh, every, every question has to be answered at some point. So we were talking about plants that make great partners, if you will, with particularly turtles or plants that you may want to grow in an aquarium or a terrarium. Now, again, I cannot speak from the animal's perspective. That is not my specialty, just from the plant's perspective. So any of the plants that we had discussed from Java moss to the Amazon arrow to the uh, African water fern, all of these things. Be sure uh, to talk with folks who are uh, more um, knowledgeable. <laughs> I guess I just should admit it. More knowledgeable uh, about the specific animals that you may be growing in your indoor habitats. And of course, from the plant's perspective, you're not going to hurt them if you add a grow light. Add a grow light and you can almost grow anything uh, that you want to indoors. But definitely those plants that have low light requirements, they're going to perform better for you. So I don't know, maybe you're interested in growing uh, a turtle in an aquarium, terrarium. Here are some plants that you can use to grow. And again, that's just another kind of gardening. 
It's just indoors. You know, we're creating habitats outdoors for uh, certain critters, whether we want to or not. I know none of us probably want to create a habitat for deer, uh, but we tend to when we start planting hostas and hydrangeas, they just come and find them. Uh, and the same goes for indoors. You can grow plants together with you can grow plants together with your uh, with your pets. That's essentially what they are. They're pets. They're our friends. They're our family. Well, I do want to sort of talk a little bit about mulch and and maybe compost uh, before we leave today because we're getting on that time of year where I'm getting questions from folks. Already, already this, uh, golly, in the past few weeks, I've had five people, uh, particularly at the nursery or through email, ask me about uh, compost and soil mix for raised bed gardening. And so I guess it's not really a discussion on mulch in particular, but I will uh, briefly talk about that once we talk about the materials that you can add to a raised bed. It seems like a number of people this year in particular, just from the people I know and uh, associate with through the nursery, customers and whatnot, they're interested in growing vegetables, flowers, whatnot in raised beds in raised beds. And it is a wonderful way to grow plants. Raised beds are essentially like almost a quasi container. It's almost like container gardening, except container gardening usually has a bottom. Uh, Most raised beds are open on the bottom and plants can grow through the bottom into the existing soil. And that is probably, well, just from my opinion on what I know, um, is the best route to go. Don't use a don't try to grow a raised bed garden with something that actually has a bottom to it. That's essentially a container. But raised beds are quasi-containers. So when we build these containers, we've got to fill them up. We've got to fill them up with something that plants can grow in. And a lot of folks come to me and ask me for topsoil. That's what they think they need to put in there. And you could. Plants can surely grow in it. But... The best raised beds are raised beds that are filled with rich, variable-sized organic matters. So we're talking compost, manures, uh, mushroom compost, uh, leaf litter, composted leaves. Everything's got to be composted, right? (laughs) But as long as this stuff is breaking down and is turning into variable sizes, small particles of organic matter to large particles of organic matter, this makes a great substrate for plants to grow in. And the reason I say variable sizes is because that helps with drainage. If you screen a material to get out large particles and only try to grow plants in small, tiny particles of organic matters, then you will find that that particular media holds on to a lot of moisture and you may have water retention issues. But if you have a mix that is balanced with large particles and small particles, then the large particles will help to drain that media well. Because most of our vegetable plants and garden plants, uh, flowering plants, annual flowers, whatever you're trying to grow in these boxes, they do need moist soil, but a well-drained soil. And organic matter is always the key to building soil. So here's the approach that I like to recommend for people and their raised beds, getting them started, getting them going um, in the next few weeks, is place your raised bed, or at least mark out where the bed's going to go, and then cultivate the existing soil, okay? It may be poor subsoil. It may be rich, earthy, organic-y topsoil. But cultivate it as deep as you can. Go ahead and 
Try to destroy weeds that may be existing by turning the soil over. Try to get the tilth of that soil powder fine. Try to get it super soft. And then place your raised bed and fill up with some kind of organic matter. Uh, we at the Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week, we've been bringing in a product this year that we just really love. It's locally produced uh, in Northeast Georgia, and the company is based in Gainesville. Uh, they do certain mixes with certain products, and they have a compost that has a number of nutritious sources involved, some uh, pine bark in there for great drainage, uh, but it is OMRI approved, and OMRI, O-M-R-I, is an organic certification program, so this would be great product for those of you who are looking to uh, grow organically in your vegetable gardens, particularly raised beds. You can use this in any bed, ornamental, vegetable, flowering, whatever. You can incorporate it into any soil to improve the soil, but in particular, you can grow directly into it. We're doing it at the nursery in our pots. We're starting to use this product uh, in our containers for hydrangeas and gardenias, whatever we're growing. Uh, but it is a great substrate to get started into a raised bed. The only thing that I would do once I've placed the raised bed and softened the soil below is to go ahead and work in Try to create a homogeneous mixture of the existing soil with a compost or organic matter. And then as you go up, uh, you don't have to do as much incorporation. The, the, the problem here is that a lot of times we don't incorporate the material into existing soil and we create these distinctive layers like a lasagna. And if we, and I've talked to you about uh, placing coarse material over fine material, uh, coarse soil over fine soil uh, before. But if we get one of those layers out of whack and we have fine textures over the coarse textures, then your raised bed will be retaining a lot of moisture that is not going to allow your plants to grow well. So anytime, no matter what product you're using, whenever you're filling up the raised beds, be sure to incorporate what you can and mix it as well as possible so you're creating this homogeneous growing mixture. Now, I'm going to have to end the show on this. Not all topsoils are the same. Some topsoils come out of a field and they're laced with weed problems and you don't want that. Some topsoils, what people are selling as topsoils, are just subsoil, red clay. If you want to use topsoil, make sure it's earthy looking. Make sure it's dark in color. We do not want it to be that, that uh, classic red clay color at all. But I would prefer to go with a uh, mixture of compost that has large particles and small particles. It holds on to moisture, but it helps to uh, drain well. And it also holds on to nutrition. So, gang, today I know it's been sort of a hodgepodge of discussions, but give, it a go. <laughs> give all of these things we've talked about a go. And we'll see you here next week on New Southern Garden for WRWH 93.9 FM. I'm Nathan Wilson. I hope you stay well and grow well. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.